Welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. We are delighted for part one of this episode to be joined by Sandri Kangas, CTO, and Jeremy Otis, General Counsel at Kujo AI. Hi, Sandri, Jeremy. Um, nice to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Great pleasure to have you here and discussing some trends in artificial intelligence. Thank you, Matthias, and uh, thanks for having us here. So uh, I'm CTO at Kujo. I'm responsible for our technology, our products, services, and delivering them to network service providers. What we do, we provide digital life protection services through operators, through network service providers, to consumers. Our solution is deployed on a broadband fiber cable mobile gateway to the home or on a mobile device that goes out of the home. And the services cover security, uh, digital parenting, and privacy solutions. AI is core uh, to what we do. So um, all our solutions are powered by proprietary algorithms. And uh, I would say we have reached now a stage where the data volumes are such big that it really starts working for our benefit because AI is hungry for, for data. Thanks, Santri. <clears throat> and uh, as Matthias mentioned, I'm Jeremy. I'm the general counsel at Gujo AI. As general counsel, I'm responsible for <clears throat> compliance, uh, intellectual property protection, as well as general contracting, leading a small team of professionals based in Europe for those three tasks. Uh, but obviously the, the main thrust of uh, the bulk of my day is taken up with uh, contracting matters and a bit of and a smattering of some interesting legal issues, which are unique to cybersecurity companies, especially ones, as Santre mentioned, uh, operating in data intensive uh, industries such as ours. Thank you so much, uh, Sandri and, and Jeremy, for, for, um, for the intro and, and getting to know a little bit more about uh, what you're doing currently. Um, Sandri, uh, hearing the, where Kujo AI has coming from, can you probably give the audience an overview on, of how the security landscape has changed over the last years and how IoT devices have driven those changes so that we know why, is it, why it is important to focus on the, on the security of the devices we are using nowadays? Yeah, so in our um, customer base, uh, an average household has 25 devices in home. Average household has probably three point some uh, people living in the household in our customer base, approximately three. Uh, which means that if everybody would have a phone and a, a computer and a tablet, which is not the case with the kids, they, they don't have all of those necessarily, it means that there is a more than two thirds of the devices are non-attended non, uh, uh, devices. So they are, they are not the devices we carry, but they are all the other devices we, we have at home, be it smart speakers, baby monitors, video surveillance cameras, doorbells, uh, and all kinds of IoT gadgets from washing machines to garage door openers or expensive bikes or your car, which connects to the home, home gateway. Now, uh, the main 
uh, operating system manufacturers uh, for laptops, tablets, phones, especially on the laptop side, are, are getting very good. And attackers and uh, cyber criminals typically try to find the lowest denominator. So the threat is moving. It, it, it uh, some time ago moved to the mobile devices, specifically to Android. And uh, now lately, uh, it has been moving to the IoT devices, which have been used uh, for multiple purposes on doing, doing bad things. Uh, so we have a big computer fleet connected to the network at our home, plugged to our ceilings or doors or whatever. And, uh, and those are all the time connected to the internet. Uh, and they have a compute power, not necessarily as significant as, as the laptops, but they are the lowest hanging fruit today. Uh, based on our statistics, for example, an Android operating system, which is also used in some of these devices, and generally it's Linux operating system. These IoT devices include, well, first of all, we as human beings, we're a bit lazy. That's why Apple has automatic updates. Microsoft has automatic updates. Uh, we even postpone that update because we think that it interferes our daily lives, even though we don't need to do anything else but click OK and it happens. Now, this is not the case with majority of the IoT fleet that we have. Uh, we just plug it in and uh, leave it there running for until it runs five years or so and never upgrade it. And uh, uh, threats uh, and attacker, attackers need, uh, need um, the attack to become possible. There needs to be some holes in the security of the, of the system. And these holes, which are generally called vulnerabilities in the software, uh, everybody has them. Um, even the mainstream operating systems are having security updates. Now, IoT devices have a lot of them. They have lots of vulnerabilities, and uh, we don't patch our IoT devices, meaning we don't upgrade them. Uh, so those IoT devices sit there being vulnerable as an easiest target uh, to take over. And uh, it might be a, whatever type of an attack you have seen in the past uh, is, is nearly possible, except getting in through a browsing or getting in through an email. But anything that is network born coming through the network is possible. So these IoT devices are the easiest to take over uh, for the uh, for the benefit of the bad actor. Uh, and, uh, and then they are being used uh, in all kinds of uh, crimes and, and attacks from denial of service or DDoS attacks, taking a website down somewhere or, or, or some service down, uh, being a jump host, being uh, to, in, in, a, in a larger attack, or, or then being a jump host to, to attack some other device in the home, uh, the attended device. Uh, so that is, uh, that's the current uh, trend uh, and it's, it's getting worse uh, as, as, we, as we put more and more of those IoT devices to our homes and, uh, and the device manufacturers seem to be in a race to get the devices quickly to the market, where they typically 
violate some of the software engineering principles of security, secure software engineering. And, <clears throat> and those devices come to the market uh, with, a, with a weak security models uh, because a uh, lot of competition uh, uh, on, on bringing those devices to the market. That's, that's I would say, the current biggest trend. Uh, Jeremy, have there been any major changes in technology law uh, over the past few years to keep up with the technology advance and ever-increasing interconnectivity from your perspective? Oh, it's, and thank you for that, Matthias. The biggest thing that I witnessed over these, two, being a software lawyer uh, over these past 25 years and working in the cybersecurity sector over maybe the past 20 years is just how this has gone from being, how shall I say this politely, kind of a boring back office uh, function that people weren't so concerned about uh, to today where not so much software licensing specifically, but certainly the uh, working for cybersecurity vendors has become an increasingly sexy place to be. Uh, certainly now that we're all working from home and that the security of what we're looking at on our video screens is just as important as the size of the lock on your door or the uh, complexity of the combination for your office safe. Um, so in that respect, what I've seen is that uh, there's been a democratization in many respects of a lot of aspects of technology law. Uh, certainly the biggest fears 20 years ago were from the American patent trolls. And I think in many ways that specific risk has reduced somewhat only to have been replaced by threats from patent trolls from Asia and from other new novel parts of the world. Uh, so in that respect, um, it's really a matter of that, uh, it's becoming something that more people are being exposed to. It's not something that happens in the background of your internet service provider exclusively, whenever your system is hacked and someone gets in, it happens right in front of you and your screen freezes up and I guess you have to throw your computer into the garbage or whichever. Uh, so it's been fascinating to watch the evolution, uh, both of software uh, as an industry and cybersecurity, and to see it become so much more uh, a functional part of our daily lives. And uh, you know, lawyers being the contract negotiators, uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, you know, those protecting our IP uh, in, in that area uh, have been along for a fun ride. Thanks, Jeremy. Um... Only question to both of you, but how exactly does Pujo AI ensure privacy and security protection on a wider level, as you described in the introduction of your product offering? In other words, not on an end user level. Well, Probably I, if you can try to explain it to, let's say, a humble M&A lawyer, uh, Santri, not a technology guru. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest change has happened in the area of privacy when it comes also to the legislation and protection, like EU GDPR came in and uh, put a lot of uh, requirements on all the software providers that collect uh, that uh, private information from us and uh, how they combine it um, and, and how it is being used. Uh, by AI algorithms. Uh, Kujo participates, we are, we are in the World uh, Economy Forum uh, uh, in, the, in the tech uh, domain, in the innovator domain. And there we have been working on, on these topics, uh, ethical use of AI, for example. So 
privacy is a broader term and we do provide solutions for that prevent uh, anybody from collecting or tracking your device or use or or home or use of web when you're using web or email when you are uh, behind our solution so we remove the tracking uh, altogether uh, on the gateway or or then uh, on the device when the device is out of home now how does the tracking work uh, which is uh, seen as a big uh, violation of our uh, of our privacy uh, first of all what can what does it entail what, what is the whole tracking domain it's like where are you who are you with what do you buy what do you eat uh, and what are you interested on and, uh, and this information is collected uh, via uh, your web browsing experience via the apps you use uh, using the GPS on the device, uh, via emails you click and open, because emails are full of tracking, uh, and so forth and so forth. This information is collected to central repositories uh, by the trackers and it's sold forward. And uh, the algorithms that profile us for various purposes are, are pretty good. Uh, I would claim that they might know better our personal traits than we, we are aware of them ourselves. Which is, in, which is first and foremost built for commercial purposes to sell products to us. Tracking can be uh, used to change our purchasing behaviors. They can be used to change the way that democracies even work and everything between. Depends on what you use it for. So what you click and what you do and whether you give that information out or not has a relevance in today's world. Mm-hmm. And EU GDPR tries to put some constraints on this so that we can, when we go to a web page, say which tracking is allowed, for example, That's, that has to be there. And it has to be already by default uh, configured in a way that it's only the necessary. Now, this is not always the case, uh, especially if you are not in in uh, in Europe, and uh, and how when you go on a web page and you have that cookie notification coming in, we are busy, and again we are a bit lazy. We typically click, okay, just get rid of it. People are becoming more and more aware uh, of the problem, and and we've done surveys uh, in in the in the United States and. Uh, and people are really becoming more more concerned uh, on 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 all of this. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big topic. But thanks for the for for the brief insight, um, Santali. Uh, Jeremy, uh, back to you. And and as as we heard from you and Santali, Kujo AI is developing privacy protection solutions on the service provider level instead of end user solution like ad blockers. Um, from your legal perspective as a general counsel, is there a danger in shifting responsibility to users in terms of their data? With the democratization of all of these uh, various devices and the data itself, uh, in many ways, it's more important that the 
uh, it's important that uh, consumers know what data they have out there and have some level of control over it. Otherwise, I mean, one might argue that there are five companies or so that will take over that control from the users given half a chance. Uh, and certainly the varying approaches that you see between Europe with GDPR and the US, which is a bit more of a free for all right now, does tend to lead to some confusion on the consumer side as to who's controlling their data, what laws may be, con uh, may be governing uh, the controllers and processors of that data and what they can do with it. So in, in my view, both from a legal and a practical perspective, uh, the more that consumers know and the more control they have over their data, at the end of the day, I think it's the, the better protected they will be. Jeremy, Santa, we, we spoke uh, about privacy now with, with in, the, in the light of COVID and the post-COVID area. Do you think privacy can be sacrificed for the benefit of the, of the econ economic recovery um, in broader term, for example, in Europe? I don't think it should be changed. Uh, and I don't think that the technical means have changed at all. Uh, the services we are increasingly using because we are home, uh, ordering things and, uh, and using more and more kind of digital services. They have been there all the time, right? Uh, not too many other things than the Corona applications that track if we have been close by somebody who has the, the infection. That's the, probably the only new thing. And, uh, and depending on the country, they are actually implemented in very uh, privacy aware way mm -hmm. uh, without revealing it actually at all in some countries like like the implementations in some European countries are such. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously we are more exposed because we're using more and more of those digital services. Uh, our whole uh, life is uh, going through some digital platform. Uh, it's, it's no longer just the credit card company that knows or the shop we go, which knows exactly what we bought. Uh, if you order the food to your door, then well, that platform knows. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably the change. Uh, no change on the legislation either, in my opinion, required. It's, I, I think it's pretty okay, but it's just whether the all the actors and, uh, and all the buyers of the tracking information are are acting in an ethical way and uh, acting according to the to the privacy laws. And uh, and I think there is a bit of a stretch there, and it's there's a lot of gray area at the moment. And I can echo a lot of what Santari says in this respect. Uh, from the legal perspective, we haven't really seen any new laws or any dramatically uh, novel legislation arising up in the last six months. What we have seen is simply certain aspects of whether it's public health and safety laws on a national level, <clears throat> or to some extent privacy laws being certain aspects of that being focused on much, much more than they may have been a year ago. And from that perspective, uh, I don't think that uh, COVID recovery or sort of the new normal economy is going to necessitate that any consumers give up their right to privacy protection. It's just going to become, and it's increasingly become, becoming more of a balance for the individual to strike versus what sort of activity you may want to take in the digital world versus how much of yourself, if you will, you're prepared to lend to that 
activity or ecosystem in order to make it happen. You're going to need to get over a few bytes of personal data in order to buy your bread online. But does that mean that everybody, that, that, that the guy at the local shop needs to know every purchase you've made for the last 10 years? Not necessarily. And taking, into, taking tools into use, there are tools available that can be taken into use to give the consumer more control over how their data is used, by whom, and where. And that really requires the consumers to be educated about these things beforehand. But no, I don't think that uh, privacy is something which is going to be sacrificed on the altar of economic recovery. We're just all going to have to become more sophisticated uh, as we as we start to deal and operate in a more sophist digitally sophisticated world. We are going to have to become more digitally sophisticated consumers um, and know what of ourselves is out there and how, how and what we can protect and keep to ourselves. Thank you for joining us on part one of this episode. Do look out for part two, where Sandri and Jeremy will share further insight on the artificial intelligence landscape.